0: Hi fm presents South African politics and news with the South African Institute of Race Relations. The IRR show, independent, relevant and real, is hosted by Sarah Gon every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10, promoting life, liberty and property rights.
1: This morning I'm going to do something a little different. We're going to have a double act and uh, the reason we're going to have a double act is because Last week, in the House of Representatives in the United States, a bipartisan bill, which is essentially a bill put forward by a Republican and a Democrat, um, the James Moskowitz bill, as some can call it, and will be referred, to, we will refer to it as the U.S.-South Africa Bilateral Relations Review Act. And so, accordingly, I have in the studio, my two colleagues, Chris Hutton and Nicholas, Nicholas Lorimer, who, both of whom you've heard from fairly recently, but they have something they can say that I, th- I hope will prove useful and illuminating. And essentially I'm just going to give you an idea of what the bill states because uh, the Americans, shall I say, are not happy with the South Africans. And what, they, what the bill states is that the actions of the African National Congress which since 1994 has held a governing majority and controlled South Africa's executive branch, are inconsistent with its publicly stated policy of non-alignment in international affairs. Secondly, in contrast to its stated stance of non-alignment, the South African government has a history of siding with malign actors including Hamas, a U.S.-designated foreign terrorist organization and a proxy of the Iranian regime, and continues to pursue closer ties with the People's Republic of China and the Russian Federation. So having said that, um, good morning to you, Chris, and to you, Nick.
2: Good morning. Good morning, sorry.
1: Nick, you know about things American politics-wise. Since they've presented, uh, introduced this, this bill into Congress, what would have to happen for it to become law? Um, before we go into the details of how unhappy the Americans are with us.
0: Well, I we'll would probably have to go through the committees and then also uh, be taken to the floor by the Speaker, which he won't do unless he thinks there's the votes required to pass it. Uh, but it is interesting that it is, as you say, a bipartisan bill. Now, there are often bills put up in the U.S. Congress that don't actually go anywhere. Um, this is fairly fairly common. But I think with this one, this has definitely been something that's been building for a while and so I don't think we can say with any certainty exactly how the votes are going to shake out on this one or whether it will actually end up going through the legislative process. Um, the U.S. Congress has been extremely chaotic of late uh, with not even the leadership of the, the House of Representatives in particular knowing precisely how a vote is going to go. Um, and so I think that uh, the possibility that this might end up becoming law is something to be taken or or at least be passed through the Congress, is something that should be taken seriously. Um, One of the reasons for that is not just because uh, American Congress people who are pro-Israel have gotten their backs up now about South Africa's um, actions, but also because South Africa's uh, being included in the AGOA trade agreement with the United States. Is something that more protectionist members of Congress in both the Democratic and especially the Republican Party nowadays will be keen to uh, act on. Um, and in addition to that, the sort of more right part of the right-wing part of the Republican Party is uh, has begun to see South Africa as sort of a little bit of a kind of culture war cause celeb, taking up the issue of farm murders as something that is not being taken seriously by the South African government. I think Tucker Colson on his show back when he was still on Fox. Um, raised that issue and also Donald Trump has tweeted about it. So this means that basically there is a there are many bipartisan reasons um, and and a lot of reasons for the Republicans in particular uh, to begin maybe seriously considering this bill and pushing it forward. There's a lot of unhappiness with South Africa for a variety of reasons I think.
1: Chris it refers to a full review of the bilateral relationship so presumably it's a fairly wide-ranging review but what's likely, to in practical terms have sort of be amount to the first impact of this bill, whether it actually becomes law as it doesn't. To what extent is is something like a goa, which I'll ask you to just briefly remind us about, likely to be a sort of big issue either while we wait for the bill to go through process or after the if the bill is successful in, in becoming law.
2: So the Africa Growth and Opportunity Act, uh, of which South Africa has benefited for a number of years now, allows tariff-free access for South African exports to U.S. markets. Um, that means it's easier for South African exporters, farmers, um, wine producers, miners take your pick, to get their goods easier to those very lucrative U.S. consumers, businesses, and markets more generally. It also just sends a good signal in terms of sentiment if you have these sorts of trade agreements, um, preferential trade agreements with more developed countries such as the U.S. It sends a signal not just to the U.S., but to other countries broadly in that sphere that your country is focused on things like the rule of law, democracy, strengthening property rights, um, that you're generally a better destination for investment and trade then somewhere else might be. So now if South Africa loses that access, and I do think there is a strong possibility thereof, not just based on this act, but on a few other things as well, that negatively impacts on the South African economy in the long run. Um, Those goods that lose that immediate access, those exporters will feel the immediate pinch, pinch. But as I mentioned, that sentiment gets negatively affected over time. So you start to drift away from markets that are more beneficial to you in terms of advanced manufacturing, skills sharing, intellectual property rights. Um, all those sorts of things get chipped away over time. Now, this has been floated before, uh, nearer to the end of last year, 2023. But one of the justifications that the U.S. could offer for not including South Africa in an AGOA extension, should that happen, um, because many countries form part of AGOA broadly, including South Africa, um, is that South Africa has benefited enough from the agreement. It is now a more developed, advanced economy, and it is being graduated out of a Goa. That could be one way for the US to try and soften the blow, as it were, but also then for South Africa to spin it in a way to save face and say, see, um, this isn't because of diplomatic issues, geopolitical issues, foreign policy choices, we've just been graduated out. Um, so that could be one line to take. But in light of South Africa taking Israel to the International Court of Justice, in light of apparently um, returning a phone call from Hamas on the part of Durko and the minister, um, these things create that perception that your talk of, of neutrality or non-alignment on a range of issues is not being practiced. And that then adds another quiver, as it were, to the argument, um, another arrow to the quiver as to why you shouldn't form part of these beneficial trade agreements with a country like the United States.
1: Just to get an idea, what sort of what sort of industries in South Africa would really be hit by the end of a go? So
2: especially in things like uh, fruit, uh, wine, um, automobiles, um, not just final automobiles, but the parts, There are those that get manufactured in South Africa, but then get exported to other markets. So we don't necessarily sell a lot of them here. Um, There are quite a few if you have spent the last, over the last six months, if you've driven from Johannesburg to maybe to Durban, you would have seen on the N3 many trucks loaded with new Ford Rangers, new Volkswagen Amarok's. Um, it's not just the case that there are many of them because they're all waiting at the port to be uh, loaded onto ships because the port's aren't functioning. It's also because a lot of them are going to other export markets like the US, like Australia, Canada, and other places. So especially for the automobile industry, one that the South African Department of Trade and Industry has punted so hard that they've apparently protected for many years, provided subsidies, they're going to lose a lot of that more beneficial uh, trade setup that they would, not just to the US, but again, that sentiment point To maybe the European Union, um, countries there, to Australia, um, countries that broadly form part of the ambit of the United States sphere of influence, uh, as it were. Now, that's not to say you can't then try and find other export markets, but those other export markets aren't necessarily going to be as easy to trade with. Um, Mm -hmm. The trade routes aren't going to be as easy. There's going to be more conflict. Uh, If you want to export maybe some of those goods to certain parts of the Middle East, you're going to have to deal with rockets flying overhead and that sort of thing, um, especially around the Red Sea. So it's not a given that oh you just lose access to one market and it's a given you can still maintain job creation and investment with other markets. Um, It's by no means just a. It's going always going to be there.
1: Can I turn to you? They were very sort of detailed in the bill about their unhappiness a with as we've discussed essentially the uh, taking Israel to the International Court of Justice over charges of, of genocide, and Lady Pando, our foreign minister's uh, telephone call with the, with the leader of Hamas. But they mention her visiting Iran, um, as as one would have perhaps thought would be an issue, referring Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to the International crime, Criminal Court for arrest. And then they go into quite some detail about their unhappiness about the relationship with Russia and everything we've seen in the last year uh, or, or so with the a couple of years now with the war in ukraine the you know so the so-called non-aligned aligned position that um, that africa took on that the joint military exercises with uh, china and russia at here the lady are uh, you know it, it sort of just goes on and on and, and dispatching high-level delegations on political intelligence and military cooperation, and similarly, none too happy with their interactions with the Chinese government and the Chinese Communist Party in particular, and uh, finding them e- fundamentally incompatible with constitutionally guaranteed rights in our, you know, the the, the provided in our constitution and the the, the, chi- the Chinese Communist Party's general lack of concern over these issues, and and so it goes on, you know, it, it, it's just a sort of almost a laundry list of. Their unhappiness about the relationships, the relationship with these two countries. Your comments on uh, on that sort of real, you know, real unhappiness, shall I say?
0: I think this has been a long time coming in a lot of ways. So the ANC government and the United States have always had a bit of a rocky relationship, uh, going all the way, of course, back to the the, the 80s when the, when the ANC was was close to the Soviets. Um, I think things probably were at their best during the the 90s. Um, but the sort of idea that these very anti-American strands have always been present in ANC rhetoric, particularly internal rhetoric within the party. Um, South Africa has for years voted very oppositionally to the United States in the United Nations General Assembly. Um, there are some ex- exceptions, of course, uh, but generally speaking, we have been pretty anti anti-US, particularly in recent years um and i think for a long time the us's strategy was sort of firstly they were very much saw south africa as you know this is the country of nelson mandela this is the country of the rainbow nation and that was their view they they, they viewed the most sort of positive aspects of the anc of its fight for liberation they saw a parallel between the ending of apartheid and the ending of segregation in their own country um and so that was the, that was cause for for why the us was kind of fine to just ignore anti-us rhetoric coming out of the government and i think the government for its part was more pragmatic in south africa and that it didn't take uh it wasn't so dogmatically anti-american even if that was where it kind of wanted to be um but i think that that has changed particularly in the last couple of years firstly the u.s is facing greater threats to its 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 position as the sort of dominant global power than ever before um, but on top of that, South Africa has been moving increasingly from uh, someone who criticizes the U.S. with its rhetoric to a group that is more materially um, aiding uh, the opponents of the United States. And uh, particularly for Joe Biden, his support for Israel has been uh, a difficult one for him. Many in his party are unhappy with him about that. Um, many He's faced a lot of attacks from the left and South Africa's case uh, accusing israel of genocide has only fanned those flames um on on his left so i think uh for his administration south africa has definitely gone into the sort of dog box making this a a very awkward time for them um but it's all these other things that you just mentioned this is kind of this build-up of events has been an almost unstopped chain of events of deteriorating relations between South Africa and America since essentially the the uh, beginning of the Russia Ukraine war. Uh the one exception was when uh, President Ramaphosa spoke I think it was just before the BRICS uh, conference was held here in South Africa and basically tried to distance himself from being too closely aligned with Russia and China but that seems to have fallen by the wayside now and I think um that the Americans are starting to think that uh the, the South Africa, at least under the ANC, or um, uh, is is not a is not a friend uh, as they'd like it to be, and they they've always wanted to have good relations with South Africa because they see it as the gateway to influence in Africa, um, of which it increasingly is, uh, I think, also not necessarily true to be the case.
1: Well, yeah, I, I suspect the hosting of a AGO, the AGOA, um conference shortly after the BRICS shindig last year might be very much. Our uh, last. Um, Chris, what they also go on to mention, which I think is very intriguing, is that the government's history of substantially mismanaging state resources and being incapable of effective, effectively delivering public services threaten our people and our economy. And they then go on to give some very specific examples. The first was the declaration of the, of the state of disaster last year over our energy crisis, resulting from endemic and high-level corruption. And I'm Pretty much, sort of quoting from from the bill, transnet's incapacity, disrupting rail operations and hindering mining companies' export of iron ore, coal, and other commodities due to malfeasance and corruption. And then the worst outbreak of cholera the, uh, that we saw last year, you know, outside of Pretoria, for the for the you know the worst in 15 years, and again due in part to the government's disease prevention failures, which included a failure to provide clean water to households and the. President, former President Ram, uh, Zuma's rampant, as they call it, state capture, which profoundly undermined our rule of law, basically has left us in a, in a negative trust scenario with the ANC as the people of South Africa, and trust has been essentially damaged. That's quite something. I mean, you know, they're not telling us we, anything we don't know, but uh, it's uh, the fact that they've actually put this in this draft legislation strikes me as extraordinary.
2: Yeah, it does go quite a bit further than just focusing, for example, on a trade agreement um, or on just pure investment. It's sort of the conditions around that. So what enables a stable society, a prosperous society? Well, it's those essential ingredients, prosperity, a good quality of life. These things don't happen by accident. It's not as though you find them out in nature. They need to be chosen, the right policies, the right people put in place, the right structures, the right incentives, all that sort of thing needs to be created by the given government and the given policymakers of the day. So if they're not, you're going to see a consequential decline in quality of life. Uh, At the CRA in January, we published our latest macro review on our quality of life index. And it shows, especially in provinces like Limpopo and Mpumalanga, the decline since 2022 in terms of the average quality of life for the average um, South African. Things like access to piped water, consistent electricity, uh, income, uh, adequate levels of income, nutrition, all that sort of thing. So that's consistent with... I guess some of the things that the the US lawmakers are also identifying. And I think you're going to see, th- there's talk of, of how countries like China and Russia are trying to use the so-called idea of the global south, BRICS, to extend their influence, how they're seeing their trade agreements and investment agreements as very transactional. I think the same is going to start to apply even more so for um, countries like the US as well, where it's not just a case of what money I can make from my trade agreement, but what are you giving me in terms of principles, in terms of a more substantive agreements, in terms of um, what we view the role of government to be, what values we want to inculcate, where is our agreement or not? Uh, the IMF late last year, might have been late last year, early this year, um, in, in a paper talked about geopolitical distance and geoeconomic fragmentation, where it's not just The most important thing isn't how geographically uh, far away from each other countries are, but their geoeconomic distance in terms of their values. So do they pursue things like democracy, the rule of law, free speech, um, all that sort of thing? We're going to see more and more uh, drifting apart between some countries that we would have assumed were closer together earlier before. And that's how countries are going to try and extend their influence. So that sort of thing could very well continue after this election in South Africa, depending on. What particular coalition comes about There's some recent polling that uh, makes things even more uncertain if they weren't already uncertain beforehand that could push South Africa even further away uh, from the sort of US sphere of influence and just go in a very different direction around things like, do we respect human rights, property rights, um, independence of your, of your central bank, all that sort of thing, um, sanctity of freedom to trade, uh, freedom to free enterpri- enterprise, all that sort of stuff, I think, is, is at the moment quite up in the air.
1: Nick, we were talking at a meeting earlier about uh, the zeitgeist at the mine, in Dar- mining in Darba in Cape Town last week, and the certainly from our colleagues' experience of it, um, that the theme was that South Africa is becoming uninvestable if it isn't already uninvestable. If there is such a word, this surely points to that writ large. And uh, I would imagine something like the mining in Daba at this point would, you know, the only message to government is. Whatever you're doing is wrong, and we're not going to invest here. And this is just going to take us further down that road. Um, your view?
0: Right. Our, our, you know, our biggest investors and trade partners, um, for the most part, are uh, these sort of Western countries, the United, mm-hmm. the EU and the United States, um, as well as uh, you know, I think Japan is also a significant trade partner, if not one of the top 10 or so. But anyway. Um, and so government is increasingly isolating us from these peop- these countries whose uh, economies we are much more integrated with. Uh, I don't think that this kind of act... I mean, firstly, it's worth pointing out that this is a sort of rev- uh, review act, right? So it doesn't necessarily mean that you know, South Africa is going to get kicked out of a GoA, and it's going to lose all of its privileges and the borders are going to be closed. But what it does represent is, as, as Chris was kind of talking about earlier, is this this general sort of cooling of enthusiasm for South Africa. And that enthusiasm was already low. So it's yet another sort of brick in the wall preventing investment um, from from not just uh, America, but also probably from Europe, who the Europeans are not in lockstep with the Americans on particularly the, the Israel issue, but they are... Uh, Certainly not as that they'll be less enthusiastic about an economy that seems to be sort of at odds with them. Um, I think the 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 war, uh, the war between Ukraine and Russia with with Russia's invasion and, and also the increasing tensions with China are making investors more wary in those countries of investing sort of on the wrong side of the fence as the world seems to be sort of heading into a new kind of cold war. Uh, investors don't want to get their money caught on the wrong side of a geopolitical conflict. Mm. And I think as long as South Africa yeah. has seen to be involved in this, it's going to definitely hurt our investment prospects.
1: And as you and I discussed, I think last week, you know, South Africa stood well to benefit from the crisis in the Red Sea, except for all the reasons of we've just spelled, spelled out, We, our ports and our railways are not in a position to take advantage of that.
0: No, exactly right. So if South Africa did indeed stick to its stated position of being non-aligned, of being truly neutral in these conflicts, the potential to be seen as a kind of safe haven away from the troubles, um, I think, would be very real. And we would be able to do things like provide um, port services for ships that were forced to go around the Cape of Good Hope rather than uh, through the Suez Canal. We'd be seen as a place where both uh, the West and uh, China could invest but by increasingly seeming to take a side and antagonize one side uh south africa is losing that advantage that it could be reaping from a sort of neutral stance
1: chris I, I, the the sort of devil on my shoulder is raising this point which i thought would be like the cherry on the top for the uh for the americans i'm i'm not entirely sure who organized it but there was a a, a soccer match between a between western cape 11 and uh, a selected western cape 11 And a Palestinian team, as as I say, built as a sort of match for peace. Um, Naledi Pandor was there. Soroma Poza was there. uh, Zizi Kordwe was there, as was Ronald Lamola, who still doesn't believe that there's been a rise in anti-Semitism in this country, but, you know, what what can I say? And poor old Gordon Hill-Lewis was there because, obviously, he's the mayor of Cape Town. It was at the Athlone Stadium. Oh, sorry, it was called a Football for Humanity match. And the theme was peace, hope, and solidarity. And it happened to coincide, the first match coincided with Nelson Mandela's release from prison 34 years ago. Now, to the amusement of those who managed to see this, uh, some of this footage, SABC footage, the Palestinian team sang the Palestinian anthem. Now, I have to be honest, I didn't uh, know the Palestinians had an anthem, but one WAG on a WhatsApp group who saw this said it definitely had sort of third Reich vibes. But I think what the real thing is, what the SABC didn't catch, if they probably filmed but didn't put on, on our screens, is there's a lovely part of the sort of opening ceremony where the master of ceremonies is, is chanting and getting the crowd to respond. And then Lady Pandor with her fist raised chants from the river to the sea. Now, the problem with that phrase is that everyone who knows anything about anything knows that it's essentially a genocidal chant to put an end to Israel and uh, the Jews who live in Israel. How how did that go down as a piece of PR as far as having just put in place or put forward a, a bill like this? I mean, you know, wow, that's quite impressive. Although I have to say, Jordan Hiller's, said nothing and had his hands behind his back and poor old Sir had his fist up but he looked very uncomfortable. How do you see the optics of that?
2: To be fair the president has looked uncomfortable maybe from the start of his presidency so at least he's been consistent in in that regard. I mean his sonar yeah that was maybe the latest example of just how maybe not cut out for the role. Our colleague uh, at the institute Terence Corrigan has often spoken about South Africa's foreign policy and diplomatic core and how if you want to practice neutrality and non-alignment maybe you need to be actually skilled uh, in that regard so it's one thing to say you want these positions but then to practice it you need training that experience um, and not to have i guess your given ideological position really cloud yeah maybe what advantage you want to take of situations for the optics of it um in the south african government's context where things have been declining especially more rapidly in the last few years heading into an election where they might get under 50% for the first time in a national election you need whatever optical psychological emotional wins you can get um, that that being said um, to actively participate in that kind of uh, public display that kind of singing yeah i guess the justification will be well that's not how we mean the words it's different interpretations all that sort of thing, but that doesn't mean um, that it, it gels well with what you say you do in terms of respecting human rights, the rule of law, um, real peace between whoever the warring parties might be, whether it's um, between Israel and Hamas, if if you think there can be peace between Israel and Hamas, but also um, between Russia and Ukraine, for example, if that's your position, if you want peace, then you've got to... End- realize whether in public or in private um, if you're a representative of the government uh, your words your actions indicate something about your preferences and your partners whether they were strong partners beforehand allies trading partners investment partners kind of governments or businesses are going to start to ask questions about all these things building on each other it's not just one action in isolation it's now a couple of years especially since the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Where it's becoming more and more pronounced, where some of the um, maybe the blinkers around the ANC, at least a lot around its ideological position in the West, uh, some of those blinkers are starting to to fall off or becoming a bit more faded, I guess.
1: Nick, your response to Pandor's call for genocide made it made to sound like a school war cry.
0: Well, this is exactly the point I was trying to make. You, you know, on one hand, you say. We're for the two-state solution. We're for neutrality. We just want peace in the region. We're here to mediate between both sides. South Africa has experience in mediating great conflicts. That's sort of government's line. And then on the other hand, uh, you know, you're shouting these like incredibly contentious slogans that, uh, let's just say, are not going to go down well with the Israelis. And that's a typical example of how the government just um, sort of on one hand says, "No, no, we're neutral," and on the other hand, clearly picks a side.
1: Yeah, no, I think picking a side and the side usually and or, or probably almost always being the wrong side um, is the hallmark of, uh, the, of ANC governance. Uh, but that is a problem that uh, we South Africans will have to deal with in the next couple of months. Gentlemen, thank you very much for coming on. And um, I don't know if we've so much cast light as heat on the subject or heat and light, or I don't know which is worse, but... Um, but, you know, it is, it is the South African condition not to necessarily know whether you're any better off for knowing more. But you do know more and you have you have uh, enlightened us, shall I say. Uh, so let's go for the light over the heat. And um, I'll have you back together separately or a variation of that theme probably sooner rather than later.
2: Thank you. Preferably separate, separately. Separately.